Uh, let's turn now to God's Word. We're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 25. And we're going to be reading the whole of the chapter this morning, which is uh, the full 44 verses written for us there. 1 Samuel chapter 25, beginning at verse 1. Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him, and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man of Maon, whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a, a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. Now David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favour in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give us whatever comes to your, to your hand, to your servants, and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David, and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men whom I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were, they were a wall to us both by night and day, all the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sears of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, go on before me, see I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill. And there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so. And more also to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. 
Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek, seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make it for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be, this will be no grief to you, nor offence of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt with, well with my servant, well, when my Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept, kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet, meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So it was in the morning, when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. Then it happened after about ten days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. But Saul had given Michelle, his daughter, David's wife to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray.
pray. Lord God, as we grapple in our hearts and minds with this long but significant text this morning, we pray that you would allow us to deal with it faithfully and clearly see those wonderful truths that you would teach us. We pray that your spirit would bless each one of us with a good and right and proper understanding of your word today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, that was a long passage, and I apologise for the my lords and your lords, and that was getting a little bit tricky to keep up, even as I was reading that there. Now, of course, we are continuing through 1 Samuel this morning. Last week, you might remember, I said that chapters 24, 25, and 26 all stuck together like pieces of pizza with mozzarella cheese. You can pull a slice out and examine it, but you get bits of the other ones that sort of come with it, like that beautiful melted golden cheese on top today what we say getting excited about pizza today what we see here is what gordon keddie calls in his commentary a rose between two thorns and i have just stolen that title for the sermon this morning but we do need to acknowledge it's from gordon keddie a rose between two thorns that rose of course is abigail and sadly the two thorns are nabal and David. Well, what we read today, we see conflict. We see justice. We see greed and we see generosity. We see offence given, we see offence taken. We see arrogance and tight-fistedness and humility all popping up through this chapter. There is a, a lot for us to be dealing with. Our three points this morning to help us to To understand this better, firstly, we look at the heat rises in the first 13 verses. We see the the tension between David and Nabal coming to a fore. Secondly, we see a Proverbs 31 woman. And thirdly, we see reason to praise the Lord. So to begin with, we see the heat rises. And of course, there is a lot to cover, but we'll begin right at the start of this chapter. And verse 1 is odd. Verse 1 is odd in where it's placed within this book of 1 Samuel because it doesn't really fit what's happened before and it's confusing as to why it's here with the events of David and Nabal and Abigail and all these things taking place today. It's unusually placed, but it's also an incredibly sobering verse, albeit one not entirely unexpected. Verse 1 tells us that Samuel dies. Samuel, who was the prophet to Israel. Samuel, who served faithfully as a priest to Israel. Samuel has died. This is hard news for the people of Israel. We see lamenting take place. Lamenting over the man who has been the primary means of them hearing the voice of God. Lamenting over the man who is the last of the judges. Lamenting over the man who has daily prayed for the people of Israel. Lamenting over the one who had been something of a a spiritual pillar of strength and stability in the face of Saul's leadership. Samuel's passing is not just some obscure event just slotted in here because we can. It's It's an important thing for us to note. It's important for us to note, not only for those reasons, but also because 
As I said way back when we started going through 1 Samuel, this is a book, 1 and 2 Samuel, are books of transition in the life of Israel. It's transition from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. Samuel, as I just said, was the last of the judges. He has now passed away. We are coming to the time of the kings. There is no more overlap. There are just kings within Israel. Now, this actually does set the scene for what happens in chapter 25, but also primarily chapter 26 as well. So we may not touch on it too heavily today because of the mozzarella cheese stuff. Chapter 26 enables us to go back and look at this more. But this sets a scene for the interactions we see through this chapter. Interactions between David and his men and Nabal's household. And Nabal, by the way, means Phil. So I'm sure he was very appreciative for his parents naming him that. Uh, but he does, as we, as we read today, live up to those low expectations for him. And Nabal is a fool because he really loves his stuff. So in the children's talk, you look at verse 2. It tells us 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. He had stuff. It tells us where he worked. Now, it's interesting the way this is laid out within the Hebrew narrative. Because normally you would hear a man's name before you hear what their possessions are. But the way the author has laid this out by telling us his possessions, where he works, where he trades, almost this prideful thing, emphasising the fact that he is very rich, is a way in which the author tells us that his first love is his stuff. That behold my stuff, image from the children's talk, that is Nabal. We see him in the first few verses this morning. And in stunning contrast to Nabal is his wife. It's Abigail. She is first listed as being a woman of good understanding. And then we are told about the external stuff that she is beautiful. Abigail, from what we read in this chapter, we have no doubt is both a a, a truly beautiful woman, both inside and out. Two of the three main characters. And the third main character we see in this chapter is David, who, as good as he is, does some silly things. In this chapter. But Nabal is a rich, buff headed fool. He loves his stuff. He doesn't have any regard for other people. And it's this attitude of emphasizing his possessions and getting more possessions for himself that brings him into conflict with David. David, as we've read previously and is confirmed in chapter 27 has about 600 men with him plus camp followers. We read more about the camp followers in chapter 27. His his group of people is small and their survival would have likely been dependent upon God, of course, but also receiving gifts from the general population that they met. So they have, we pick up from what happens in this chapter, particularly the first 13 verses, they've helped the shepherds who are employed by Nabal to protect the shepherds to protect his men so he doesn't have to go and replace the men. They've protected the flocks and they've protected the possessions of the shepherds. They do this free of charge. And you would expect, particularly coming up to a feast time like this is, any half-decent person would give a tangible expression of thanks, not just a thanks for doing that, I really appreciate it, and close the door. But you'd expect some sort of physical thanks to be given to these men, whether it's money to buy food or food itself. 
This is why David's, uh, why Nabal's reaction to, to David sending men to him is so, so striking. It, it's really countercultural here. It's just not what was done. It's not polite. In a culture where there is a lot of shame and honor, it's incredibly, it, it just stands out to us. David's men come to him and he insults them. He insults David's men, he insults David. What he says to the men is, David has nothing. Why, why would I, a rich man, deal with somebody who has nothing? But you know what, I'm going to go even further. David doesn't just have nothing, David is nothing. David is a no one, he is a runaway slave. I don't know where he comes from, I refuse to recognize where he comes from. Why would I deal with this runaway vagabond is basically what he's saying. The offence given is real. David's men cannot misunderstand this. They, they haven't misunderstood this. They return to David and they tell him what's happened. And David's response in verses 12 and 13 is basically, this isn't going to stand. No way am I going to let this happen. So he gets the men together. He gets 200 of them to, to guard their supplies and the rest of them, 400 warriors, about 400, go with David to get retribution, to take justice into their own hands, to take from Nabal what they feel like they should have been given. We see two thorns, don't we? Nabal was absolutely wrong and absolutely sinning in what he did. He attempted to say the right things by saying that he'd give nothing to a runaway slave of the servant of the king. But all he really shows is that he just loves stuff. And that's wrong. He should have expressed his thanks to David and the men who'd kept that stuff he loved so much safe. He should have done something for them. He should have said, thank you for keeping my stuff safe. I love this stuff so much, I'll give you a thank you. It's every opportunity to keep more for himself. It's incredibly tight-fisted. And David, David, David is riding on a high coming into this chapter. Remember the events of chapter 24 where, where David has had this opportunity to speak to Saul. He's, he's shown us that those who follow God aren't just pushovers, that when the opportunity presents itself to speak justly and to, 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 to reveal God, that God can use that. David's riding on a high. He's had Saul, who's had nothing but murderous intent for him, stop and listen and put aside that pursuit for some period of time to allow David and his men to escape. God has worked for David's good there. But now this fat cat in Israel just won't listen and he offends me, so I'm going to deal with it. Now, we may not face, and I doubt we will face, the situation of somebody with 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats offending us. But we, we should be aware of this sort of thing. Those times where things are going well for us. Those times where we seem to be receiving wonderful blessings from God. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, somebody responds less than favorably to us. It's in those times that we seem to respond most poorly, isn't it? Seems to be what's happening with David here. Things are going well. 
this stuff with Nabal is just so out of the way. I wasn't expecting this. I've got to get it back on track. And it's in those times that we must humble ourselves before God. So we don't see David going to God here and seeking wisdom as he has in other circumstances. I'm dealing with it myself. I'm getting the men. I'm sorting it out. It's in times like these that the, the part of the Lord's Prayer that says, lead us not into temptation is so vital for us to pray. We have to be aware in these times. So sadly, we see here today that David is, is only human. We see in those first 13 verses what, what we could describe as two thorns, David and Nabal. Arguably, Nabal is a bigger thorn than David, but they don't present themselves very beautifully in this chapter. Fortunately, we've met Abigail. So from verses 14 onwards for a little bit, through to about 31, we see what we could describe as a Proverbs 31 woman. We've met her back in verses 2 and 3. She is a rose between two thorns. She is a striking contrast here both to, to her husband and also to David. She is this Proverbs 31 woman. She is a godly woman. Now in younger Christian circles there's been a, a revival in recent years of encouraging young guys not to, to focus on a Proverbs 7 woman. I'll let you read what that is but less than ideal. But to pray for a Proverbs 31 woman. And for young Christian men to model themselves after what we read in Proverbs 31, this woman who, who is godly, this woman who loves the Lord. Proverbs 31 verse 30 says this, Beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This is a model for Christian women. Abigail, the wife of Nabal. We see that in verse 3. Very likely, Nabal just sees her as part of his possessions, part of his household, part of his property, part of his stuff. She is beautiful, we're told, but before we're told she's beautiful, remember that we're told she's a woman of good understanding. She knows, she loves, and she fears the Lord, and she is to be praised for this. So in verse 14... The servants of Nabal's house come and speak to her about the Nabal-David issue that's taking place. That They acknowledge in what they say to Abigail in the following verses just how buff-headed Nabal's been. I don't use that, of course, but there's a similar sort of thing. No one can speak to him. Not one can speak to him. He just won't listen. He has reviled David's men. They say to Abigail, David has taken offence to this and he's now rolling into town with 400 men ready to rumble. He's not ignoring the offence. He's, he's coming to sort this out. Now, we don't know for sure, but I get the impression reading this, that this isn't the first time that Nabal's servants have come to Abigail with something like this. You almost get the impression that these guys come to her knowing that she will handle this in a godly way. It is not the first time she's stepped in to intervene for her husband's sinfulness and evil. If they come to Abigail, there seems to be a very high likelihood that this woman of good understanding who fears the Lord 
will bring resolution to the issue. So while Nabal is getting his feast ready, Abigail goes about the house and, and organises for food to be given to David and his men. She doesn't just scrape together the bare minimum. Look at verse 18. There are hundreds and hundreds of cakes given to David and his men. There are lambs who, they don't have to do any work to prepare them for the feast other than cook them. There is grain given to them. There is an abundance of stuff given here. Well, verse 18 is really encouraging to read. She, she goes around and organises a, a feast for David and his men. And she doesn't just march her servants off and think, this will sort it out, this will cover over the offence that's been given. She sends the men out and when she can, she goes along behind them. And in verse 23, she meets David. In verses 23 to 31, while we may struggle with the your Lord and my Lord and who's being spoken, which Lord is being spoken about there, it gets confused in our heads sometimes, particularly when we hear it, not read it. What an amazing thing for Abigail to do. What tremendous faith this woman of God has. What tremendous servitude from a woman who, who from her marriage to a rich man, could have turned her nose up at David. David, who was living without nothing, she could have treated him dismissively. Here's the stuff, take it, go, it's all good, just go away. Please take your, your shepherdy men away from my house. We don't want the smell here. But no, that, that's not how she acts. She literally, physically lowers herself before David. She lowers herself to the ground. And what she says here not only covers her husband's sinfulness and seeks to make amends for that, she seeks to declare God's glory. God who she clearly knows, God who she clearly loves, God who she fears. This Proverbs 31 woman is a wonderful example to, to all women of what it is to love God first and foremost. And men, this is how we should encourage girls and women to, to grow in the Lord. There's a beautiful example right here. For all of the ladies and the girls here today, Abigail is an awesome example for you. Now, as a fellow, I like reading about David and Jonathan and people beating each other up. I sort of lean that way a little bit. But this is godly beauty. This is godly beauty that every Christian woman should aspire to. And godly beauty that Christian men and young fellows are doing to, to work at encouraging the, the Christian girls and ladies to live like. Our commentator Laney says that Abigail is a masterpiece of feminine charm, feminine charm Wisdom and grace. Through her godly actions, she changed David's mind through, through three very clear things she did. It wasn't, let's sweep over this and act as if nothing's happened. Take the gift and turn, turn your eyes. Not bribe in any way. Firstly, she took the blame. Let this be upon me. Secondly, 
she made restitution. Verse 18, that enormous gift that she brings out, she made restitution. And thirdly, she shows a depth of spirituality here when she acknowledges that David is the rightful ruler of Israel. Her husband would like to to paint David as nothing other than a runaway who has nothing and is nothing. But she goes, no, you are the next king. Clearly recognising that God was working in David. She is a spiritually aware lady who loves and fears the Lord. What we see in verses 14 to 31 in particular is not a case of David who's been living in the wilderness who hasn't seen a lady for a time, coming and having a good-looking lady come and talk to him and say something to him, and he trips over his tongue and he doesn't know how to deal with it, so he just pretends everything's okay. Some people take that view, but that, that diminishes the character of Abigail in a grossly unfair way. What we see here, what we see here is God using a lady who loves him for his purposes. We see Abigail bravely stepping out in her faith. Remember, there's 400 grumpy men with weapons coming towards her household, and she goes out to meet them. This is a woman who loves and fears the Lord, who bravely steps out in faith, and she is a tremendous example. And because she fears the Lord, she is to be praised, as we read in Proverbs 31, verse 30. Now, do finish off our final point, we see many reasons to praise the Lord through this chapter. And verses 32 through to 44 serve as the the summary and the conclusion of the events that have led up to here. Begins in verse 32 with David praising God for the wise counsel that's been brought by Abigail. He acknowledges Abigail and he also acknowledges in acknowledging that, that God has brought her here the sovereignty of God working in all situations, that God is still providing for those who are faithful. There is clear provision here in this chapter. Now, we haven't focused too much on the provision in this chapter today, but if you would like to focus more on the provision, Dower Ralph Davis primarily emphasises that in his commentary on this, and it's very well worth a read. I can provide a copy for you. But God is... Recognised by David as sovereignly at work here. We, we read earlier that David had the intent of wiping out everyone, every male in Nabal's house. Verse 34, David acknowledges that himself. There's not just perception of David's actions. David himself says in verse 34, Abigail, if you hadn't come out here, there wouldn't have been a single male left in Nabal's house come morning. This isn't just a a minor offence that we might see today where where somebody says something offensive and communication falls off for the next five or ten years. This is is a serious level of conflict here. Praise God for his work here. That even those servants of Nabal were spared because of these actions of Abigail. Because of her faithfulness. And more reason reason for praising God comes through. We know this is a time of a feast and we read Nabal in verses 36 and 37 had been hugely indulgent at his feast. 
Imagine somebody thinking so much of themselves that they have to have a feast that rivals that of the kings. This guy's just incredibly stuck up. And I don't think he really would have enjoyed it because he was drunk. I don't think he'd even remember it. I have this so I can be wasteful. I can enjoy myself for the night. But even in him indulging in his his sinful temptations at that point, it meant that he wasn't in a position to stop what Abigail did. God at work again. God's perfect timing led to this happening at the best time. And look at how upset he is about this. And the next morning when the wine's passed out of his system, probably feeling a bit groggy, but he's no longer drunk, Abigail tells him what's done. She doesn't tell him before he's sober enough to hear this. She waits till the wine's out of his system, and it's like his heart died within him. Five lambs, a few hundred cakes, and some grain. He had 3,000 sheep. He had 1,000 goats. This is nothing compared to what he has, but this is enough for his heart to die within him because he loved his stuff so much. Now, this is a warning for those who, who, who treasure things more than anyone else. Not my stuff. Don't give away my stuff. I am lost without it. This is where he finds his identity. And what a sad reality for a man who is just so blessed with possessions that such a comparatively small amount, while a feast for David and his men, small amount for him, leads him to such a reaction. He is blessed with so many things. He is blessed with a lovely wife, but all he cares about is his stuff. He has acted in great sin, and ten days later, God brings his judgment against him. He dies 10 days later. Death is never something to be celebrated. Yet there is cause for us here in this chapter to, like David in verse 39, praise God that he does reveal his righteous judgments. Praise God that he will not allow evil to continue forever. That he does not allow evil to continue unrestrained. That is how God acted then, that is how God acts now. He will not allow evil to continue forever and he does not allow evil to continue unrestrained. This is David's response in verse 39. In this chapter there are truly amazing reasons to to praise God. His provision. Something we can all relate to. Anytime we eat or drink or put on clothes or see family members or people who love us, we thank God for his provision in those things. We're going to share the Lord's Supper soon. Let's be thankful for that wonderful provision that God's given us, that we have salvation from sin. Praise God for the perfect plan that he has and his perfect timing in bringing his plan to fruition. Praise God that he works for the good of his servants and for his glory. Praise God for his justice and judgments that he delivers in righteousness. So many reasons to praise God. But you might note we haven't dealt with the end of the chapter yet. The back half of verse 39 through to verse 44, things get a little bit 
a little bit whack. Well, what's going on here? David reminds us for a second time in this chapter that, that he's not our ultimate hope. We read in verse 44 that we would describe it as there's been something of a divorce between David and Michelle, as who David had been married to, Saul's daughter, because Michelle had been married by Saul to some other dude while David's running for his life. Now Saul just had to be in this chapter somewhere, didn't he? And we see that while we would have loved to see reconciliation between David and Saul last week, we see Saul's continued hatred for David, that he would do this to his own daughter. His hatred for David comes through here. His complete disregard for God's law comes through. So we might be saying, well, maybe David's not entirely wrong in taking Abigail to be his wife. He he proposes, sends men to propose. Very romantic, isn't it? Uh, Sends men to propose on his behalf. She accepts in a continued pattern of humility. Her humility through here just continues. It's a beautiful, beautiful example of what it is to love the Lord. But then David takes this other lady, who we haven't met before, Ahinoam of Jezreel, as his wife also. Now, we don't know how formal what Saul's done is. So we get to the end of this chapter going, does David have two or three wives? It's messy. Why does David have more than one wife? Remember right back to the start of 1 Samuel in chapter 1. In Samuel's household, his father had two wives. And we saw there that it's clearly not God's design for marriage, which is one man to one woman to the exclusion of all others. No one else, no other combination. To say the least, God is... Very patient with David on this count, isn't he? He is very patient and very gracious. The conclusion of this chapter, things are getting messy again. Saul and David are not reconciled. The mess, the the drama, the conflict continues. The tension within Israel of will we follow Saul or will we follow David is really ramping up again. And Samuel's just gone. Samuel's been promoted to glory. Saul or David, who are you going to pick? Neither of them are perfect. That said, we deal with those questions as we continue. But this chapter is a wonderful chapter, isn't it? How refreshing has it been to be encouraged by Abigail? Be encouraged by this rose between two thorns. We have so many reasons to praise God and we can think of countless more having seen the way God works here today. But praise God for the godly women in our lives. Particularly married men, praise God for your, lovely, for your godly and lovely wives. Singular for each of you, by the way. We are continued to be encouraged by God. We are continually encouraged by God's work, by God's mercy, by God's grace. Let's remember that and praise the Lord 
in all that we do. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this part of your word and we know that there are things that have been raised in this reading today that we just haven't been able to dive into and question marks that we still have to look into yet. Although, Lord God, we have seen so many reasons to rejoice, so many reasons to praise you, so many reasons to acknowledge you have a plan and you are working to bring that plan to perfect completion. You work for the good of your servants, even when we don't always remember you as well as we should. And you always work for your glory and your honour and the praise of your name. And may we live in a way that reflects this ourselves. We ask that you would help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.